Have you ever been plunged under the surface of your conscious life and found yourself all at sea? My Jungian therapist said to me that this breakdown was the best thing that had ever happened to me. If you haven't been keelhauled by life, then you're not living. Welcome to the Anxious Poets podcast with Adrian Scott, the Anxious Poet. But now the sun aches over the tree line this thing of darkness, I acknowledge mine. Reworking the territory of the past, exposing that the presence in loss is the impudent sprouting of a new life. Speaking lines gleaned from a dark and no moon night when only my pen knew its way. There is a certain kind of vow no one can make for you. It is the vow of vulnerability. Poetry, anxiety and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Anxious Poets podcast. I'm Adrian. I am the Anxious Poet. And today on the podcast, I'm really lucky to have a guest, Ray Tonge from Salins in Ireland. He's been a great friend to me, a wonderful companion. Um, We've worked together. We've become good friends We have walked quite the journey together and in this podcast you'll hear some of the journey that we've walked together. He is such a trustworthy, good man who has really been on that inner journey, engaged in those inner struggles and that makes him a real healing presence to other people. Um, A truthful, honest, generous, funny guy. who I'm really lucky to call my friend. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. We go on a bit, but, um, well, perhaps I go on a bit. He doesn't. He's much more succinct with his words than I am. But um, I'm really grateful that he spoke to me, and I hope you like the podcast. Welcome, Ray. Ray Tonge from uh, Ireland. Where is it you live, Ray? I'm living in Kildare, a little town called Salins. It's just on the border of Dublin. So people you know, say I'm not really a Kildarian. You know, you're going, ah, you're just a blow in from Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here. We're here about 15 years now. On this wow. wow. And it's lovely. I've been there. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's nice. It's a busy little town. But, um, there's some nice walks. There's a nice canal and there's a lot of barges parked along the canal. So there's lovely few lovely walks around the area. Fantastic. And we know each other. I, I I can't remember how long it is that we've known each other. Well, we, the first time we, we did some work together and that's when we got to know each other was in 2008 in Roydal. We did right. Men's Rights of Passage. That's right. But I had got to know you, I think, 
start to get to know you a year beforehand because we'd had some right. chats and you had come over here to Ireland. I had I came over to see Jerry and we went to um oh oh Glendalough. Glendalough, yeah, that was Glendalough. it, which was yeah. like something out of Lord of the Rings. That's a fantastic place. It's just yeah. it's incredible. It's really awesome that place. Yeah. It's it's a Celtic monastery, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Saint Kevin. Yeah, yeah, there was a mystic Saint Kevin there and kind of uh, monastic and he went off on his own in solitude built himself a kind of a cave up in the mountain where no one could get to and spent i think i think he spent years there i'm not sure now but i think he spent years Amazing. and the thing that struck me was that the the towers had conical uh tops to them mm. they were round rather yeah. than like the ones in england and britain which are square and norman this was celtic yeah this was, yeah this was a yeah. different way of looking at the world yeah um yeah, so I, I remember we, we first met, and that's right, we were going to work on doing rituals for the men's rites of passage. That um, The first one that the UK and Ireland and Scotland um, did. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Without the, the, the famous Richard Raw to, yeah. um, to lead us. So we had a great guy called Donal O'Leary. Yeah, um, God who, rest him. God rest him who was fantastic and I'd met with a few times, but he, he'd not done one since his own in New Mexico. That's right. Um, so he was kind of flying blind and we were flying blind. Um, and the heavens opened for five days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Rained in Rydal. <laughs> we should have known really doing, doing a rites of passage in the Lake District. We, <laughs> we should have expected it, but, but non-stop rain for five days was was a bit of a shock yeah my um, my tent gave in after i, I remember because we, we, camped, we? Had to actually sleep in the marquee <laughs> yeah, um, and and so for those people listening who have no idea what we're talking about um this is a an event for for men of all ages from over 18 um up to well whenever um to help men go through a rites of passage that in traditional societies would have been done when they were teenagers um, and still is practiced in a lot of um, First Nation cultures. And it's about helping a man, I think, a simple way of saying it is to deal with all the things that have happened to him, yeah. um, all the wounds he's received, all the wounds that he's dealt out to come to terms with what it means to be a mature adult non-toxic male yeah is that, is that a good of all of those yeah let go of, of, of much of those old narratives that's not serving and to start the journey i think it's, it's, it's yeah it's an initiation so it's the start the journey of a deepening of a, a more authentic sense of self yeah and, and, yeah and, it's and, and, and i think for for it all sounds a bit hokey and a bit, I, I, you know, even my daughters are like, well, well what difference does it make? Because um, their, their um, questioning is, does it actually make men uh, less toxic, more authentic? Does it, does it have a transforming effect? Um, just this five days. But I think you were starting to hint at the fact that this is, 
this is hopefully the beginning of a journey or the continuation of a journey for for men to become more conscious of the things like their shadow mm. like uh their their ability to be vulnerable and for that not to be a bad thing yeah like just from my own experience like i i did mine in the states in minnesota it was 2007 when i went and a lot of it's a powerful event like it there's it, it, it really strong content you know and it shook me up i have to say and yeah. Did me. I, I walked away and I still feel the impact of those five days. Mm. Now, people say, like, did I change? Did it change? Like, that was a good question that uh, mm. I was asking. Is But all I could say is I felt different. Something had changed. I had no idea what, but I, I had, something did touch me. Something something had changed. Um, and I think I was really, really fortunate. Um, that I had the likes of yourself and some other guys from the UK and Ireland um, that could hold me in it and that knew that, you know, part of the process. Um, because for some men, I feel they go for this this event and then go back to business as usual, which is the danger. And it can, it can, it can, the, the experience can dilute, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just having a, a community of brothers, I think, was really, really helpful, and a community of elders as well, and mentors that, you know, like they could guide me. And I, I remember <clears throat> my wife saying to me because I did my rites of passage in two thousand and two in New Mexico, and um, we it was at this place called Ghost Ranch, which was phenomenal, mm. where Georgia O'Keefe lived. And when I got off the coach on when I came back, my family had come out on holiday with me, and Wilma and the kids met me off the coach. And she said, I looked at you and you looked completely wide open and very, very vulnerable. And I realized, she said, I didn't want to ask you about it straight away, but that you would tell me when you were ready. But something quite uh opening. That's the best way I can describe it. It happened to you. And and I think I was lucky that my family, you know, the, the women in my life understood that that I'd been through something and that this was, it was important that they let me uh, find my way with it. Mm. So I, I think there are certain things that make it more effective. Mm. I think, I think, uh, for, for men who go on these kind of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a challenging experience to look at in the face the things that have wounded and damaged you. So one of the things for me, although it, that didn't emerge so much when I did the rites of passage, although it was there, was kind of my mental health and anxiety um one of the things that we we talk about on the rites of passage is this idea of liminality of liminal space um being a, in a threshold place and i think rites of passage in general are designed to create that space to create a, a threshold between the past and the future between 
um, <clears throat> different aspects of the self and the journey of the self. And for me, it was um, it, it was a powerfully liminal moment. Mm. So when I hit another one, when I had a breakdown that you also um, were very helpful to me with uh, in 2014, I actually knew the geography, mm. the topography of it. I knew that this was liminal, but I don't think anything prepares you for actual, uh, not staged, but real liminal space. Because I had no fucking idea what was up and what was down. Yeah. Um, and I remember you coming over, mm -hmm. you saying, well, I'm coming to see you. And I was like, oh, God, he's going to see me in a complete state. And I remember we went out to a cafe um, yeah. in, in Derbyshire, and I had to take, uh, in the middle of being in the cafe, had to take a Valium, um, a, a diazepam, just, just to stay sitting there. Mm. Um, and I, I remember your presence being really helpful because you kept saying you're going to be okay. I suppose we speak into it, but there is a trust because you you, you never left. You know, you Adrian mm. is there all the time. You know, and I can you know see him now. I'm getting even <laughs> emotional thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Um, but even in that, you know, that's the the the, the centeredness of it, and you know that that liminal space that you're talking about. Um, for me, I just call it the I don't know space. Mm. Mm. And, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't take my anxiety away, but it de-intensifies it enough for me to hold. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the right decision is. I don't know. Mm. Um, and there's, there's in that place, I think there's, there's a there's a child in me, you know, I think he's quite young he's around 10. And he's terrified mm. and he gets triggered. So if I'm not careful, I get flooded by that where the anxiety just takes over and I, I'm ungrounded and I'm, able, I'm not able to see the wolf from the trees sort of thing. Um, and, you know, that that's, you know, that's what I, I see in, in, you know, I work as a psychotherapist as well. So, you know, I, I work with myself and my clients when people are anxiety. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's it's information that we'll, we might not be able to do it right here and now, but we're, it, it's, it's a necessary part of life. And hopefully it will bring us to a place of kind of deeper connection or deeper understanding. And like, and I think you can attest to that in, in, in your own experience since what's happens to you. Like it, 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 it almost set you You had to step out of your life if you want to, in a sense, you know, to, to, um, it, it, it meant so much to me that so many people, especially people like you, I mean, it just meant a lot to me that you would get on a plane and come you know, come to Sheffield from Ireland, um, and 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 just say to me, "It's okay. You're okay. Yeah. Um, this 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 isn't terrible." And it was very very reassuring. Um, 
and I, I, I remember, uh, I wasn't going to read this, but I, this, this is a poem I wrote called Writing as Therapy. And I, when um, about six or eight months into my breakdown, I, I started to feel better enough to do more of my work again. And I went and did a day on writing, uh, writing poetry up in North Yorkshire. And a woman, I talked about my experiences of anxiety and a woman in the group said to me, oh, you're a walking miracle, you are. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm nothing. <laughs> I'm not a walking miracle. You know, I'm just surviving. So I wrote this. During the lunch break, she said, you are a walking miracle. The tremulous touch of her Parkinson's on my writing hand. In the morning session, I had spared no detail of my breakdown, all the collie-wobbled, wob collie jelly-bellied quaking of it all. Four months ago, I'd worried at myself, not about public readings or workshops, but rather could I go up to the co-op and make it back alive. Mm. Now, here I am sitting in a round of delivery, speaking lines gleaned from a dark and no-mooned night when only my pen knew its way. The real miracle is not that I was heroic during my terrors. I just endured them. Mm. The real miracle is that others had come through, that they believed I would and acted accordingly. Mm. Each face softened by stress lines, conversant with loss and repair, read my panic gaze as they visited, turning my day's pages. And you, lady, entering my lines at lunchtime, as one who has touched the hem of a garment, your revivals mend me and point the way for my pen to follow. Mm. That that idea that the real miracle is that others had come through, that they believed I would and acted accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that really... There was a holding or something in that, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think just as you were describing the idea that if you do an event like a Men's Rights of Passage or anything that requires you to go into liminal space, the exit from it has to be held in some way. Yeah. And I think when you're, when you're having some kind of breakdown, I don't even like that word. Mm. Um, I do think that there is a breaking down that goes on, but it, it's, it's so much more than that. Yeah. I, I think there's a real danger that we pathologize yeah. mental health issues that we name them and then develop a tablet for them. And then, and I'm not knocking the use of tablets, yeah, but, yeah. but if that's all it is, and, and then think, oh, well, I'm over that now. We don't learn anything. And that's the thing, yeah. I think it's, it's the learning, it's the trust that, that there is something else here. There's a deeper, it's like some part of you is going, hello, hello. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And that's the danger, you know, again, I'll be the same as you, I'm not knocking, you know, medication, but sometimes the danger is we're not allowing ourselves to, to process, to listen to the quietness of that, what is going on, like I've, I've had such a journey in that myself, you know, just yeah. about trying to, trying to listen and decipher what, 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 what anxiety or what the emotions or what the feelings are telling me, you know. Oh. Yeah, that trying to decipher, it is like a kind of code. Mm. 
yeah. I've realized that the 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 psyche and and the deeper psyche, the self, speaks in a kind of code. Mm. Um, I mean, sometimes it speaks in very uncoded language. I mean, I remember hearing some therapists say, you know, if if there's something going on inside you that you're not listening to, it'll send you a text message and then an email. Uh, and and then maybe a, a mail, and then then it'll be a letter bomb, um, <laughs> and I, and I think that's what happened to me. That that when I look at the poems that I've written over the years, I can read really clearly that something inside me was saying you need to stop doing a lot of what you're doing and concentrate on writing that poem, you know, speaking lines gleaned from a, no, a dark and no mooned night when only my pen knew its way. I wrote my way out of this mm. in, in so many ways. And that is my primary way of, of dealing with my world is to write. Yeah. And it's to find maybe it's not even to write it's to find a way of deciphering the messages coming from the depths of myself yeah. that are echoed all around me in the natural world and in the events that happen to me and the people that i meet mm -hmm. there's a kind of um, symbiosis between what's going on in my inner world and what happens in the outer world mm -hmm. and and the trick of life is to decipher all that yeah. for me and that writing for me is is a way of 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 listening to that and i think i'm interested in what led you into psychotherapy do you know doing it for other people <clears throat> what i understand now is very different to why i went in <laughs> looking back <laughs> oh it is isn't it <laughs> oh, is it <laughs> And I think the truth of it is, you know, as they say, the wounded healer, you know, that, that idea of going in. But what I understand now, though, I think there was a part of me that was looking for, for to be fixed even at that stage, you know, or to find the, the, the answer. Like, I was always uh, an anxious, you know, I was an anxious child. I was always anxious now i hadn't got the language i hadn't even got that word in my vocabulary no no it was like when i look back i was only thinking about this the other day um that i had ocd behaviors really you no know, i had to if i saw a church i had to bless myself three times and <laughs> even if i went down a road and i saw the same church at a different angle i still had to do it I'd have to see a red car on every road and I sometimes I'd have to sit and wait. If there was no red car, I'd have to wait for a red car. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, you know, primary school age. I'm talking, yeah, yeah seven to 12, that yeah. kind of age. And the, the, the magical thinking around that was my mother was going to pass away. If I didn't see a red car, my mom was going to pass away. Um, I recognize that. <laughs> Um, now I, I'd never got treatment or diet. I, I, I don't know how, but that that behaviour just fell away. But the anxiety didn't. You know, I just remember being very, very um, just worried, worried all yeah. the time. You know, worried I, about I, mom. <clears throat> I really resonate with that. Yeah, I was exactly the same. After my dad had a stroke when I was nine, at the age I am now, so I'm sixty. 
he had a stroke when he was 60 and he died when he was 63. But that three years of anxiety, because suddenly my whole world changed mm. from what, what people would consider a normal family. I'm an only child. There was me, my mum, my grandma, my dad in the house. Suddenly he was gone for six weeks uh, in, in hospital. I wasn't allowed to go and see him. Then he came back and he was completely different. He was paralysed down one side, couldn't walk properly. He was very emotional, far more than he had been. Hmm. Um, and and I got into that, if I said the right prayer every night at the right time. Yeah, yeah. And a magical yeah. behaviour. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember touching things and I had to do it so many times. I think OCD is, an, is a kind of natural reaction to feeling completely out of control. Oh, yeah. So the, yeah. the world around you, you realize is, is dangerous mm. in some way. Mm. You can't control it. So you have to find behaviors that mm. at least seem to hold it in mm. check in some way. Yeah. Um, and, and I, when I, when I had the full blown kind of technical or anxiety attack, that, was accompanied by OCD. The worst form of it was that I was frightened I was going to hurt someone else. Mm. So I became really scared around using knives of any kind, um, especially chopping knives, um, really frightened that I would hurt someone with them. Yeah. And that's another form of OCD. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's all to do with that turbulence that's set off inside you by anxiety yeah um and yeah so so that it was seeking help with some of that that led you into yeah so you know you know to, I, you know so the, just a slight journey i suppose was you know so that that never left that part of me that, that that's connected with that kid i was talking about earlier on that terrified that that whole pattern was set up there and it was never integrated you know i was split off from that and i became quite critical of myself you know so they started an inner dialogue and i suppose when i got to kind of mid-teens like 16 i started to smoke marijuana uh -huh. and that developed then right up to Oh God, late twenties, I suppose, or would it? Now looking back, you know that that was just self medication. It was yeah. a way of yeah. And I, I didn't have that language. I didn't have the awareness. There was other stuff I was taking as well, but you know that that's what it was, you know. And um, and then something happened in two thousands. I I I just said I'm 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 bored of this life. I need I need to do something. I need to change. So I decided to go traveling, went to Australia and to Southeast Asia. And um, but something, <clears throat> it was like an aggression or something was, was stirred in me. Now, not, 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 no, no, the word aggression gets a bad press. I don't think it was that. It was maybe more an assertive, but there was, but there wasn't aggressive because it was a bit, you're weak. You're like, there was a narrative in my head that <clears throat> I'm weak. I'm a mommy's boy. I'm crap. So I'm going to go out into the world and prove myself wrong. Um, so I'm going to meet people. I'm going to take go on this venture, which was great. 
and I, I did a lot of stuff. I pushed myself. It was like a self initiation. Looking back on it now, yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. But it was done through not a go and have an experience. Ray is going. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, you're lousy. You're no good. You're. Um. So it was there. Um. That. On my travels, I kind of met really good people, right? Mm. Um, and they were really kind of we had some really interesting conversations, and people were saying, "God, you're really good at listening," you know. Oh, interesting. So that 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 set a seed back then. So when I came back, um, my anxiety started to 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 increase when I came back because I was like, "What am I going to do now with my life?" So I went to therapy. It wasn't long in it. And I decided, do you know what? I'm going to train in this. Um, but it was true that that particular, I, I worked with a wonderful guy for about two years. He was a gestalt psychotherapist. And it really shone a light on my anxiety then, or, or my self-relationship. I remember I was about six weeks in. Um, and I, I was... I can't remember exactly what was happening, but we were talking about my inner critic and the language that I was using. And and it was quite strong. Like, I, you know, I have a, a slight disability of cerebral palsy, um, but I was a retard spastic dot, dot, dot. You know, a really kind of really harsh language. You, you're, you're deformed. Who's ever going to love you? Awful stuff. So Michael, my therapist at the time, he said, if you were walking past and you saw a man shouting at a child and using that language, what would you do? This is what I'd love to tell him to stop. And he goes, why? And he goes, what? Well, I thought that was a really strange question. But what, why? It's, it's, because it's not right. Yeah, but what, why? 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 And he goes, because it's abuse. And it just, the word abuse, yeah, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because cause that, that language is not being critical. That's abusive. Yeah. And, and it really, oh my God. And so that was going, okay, so there's a part of me abusing another part of, part of me. What, and I have no idea what that part was. And yeah. it's a feeling. It was, a, it was the little boy. It was the little terrified disempowered boy that this that part was was um so this has been i suppose in my work and a, a, a continuing journey for me is that that with my my inner critic with the the, the dialogue that i tell myself and the the physical sensation of the anxiety that I hold around my belly and you know in my body and um, and you know and I think I, I'm, I'm the, the type of therapy that I'm looking for. I'm all, I'm, I'm curious about this, your self relationship. That's where, that's where I'm, you know, can I, can I meet you there? Can we talk about that? And mm -hmm. I think that, that's, that's where I'm always curious about what's happening there. That's fascinating. I love that word you use curious. Because, mm. That's unlocked a lot of things for me. Mm. I've been encouraged to be curious. 
what I wanted at first was to just eradicate all the feelings of anxiety, all the difficult stuff, just get rid of it, you know, eject it somewhere and never feel it again. And gradually I've been encouraged to be curious about it mm -hmm. and ask the right kind of gentle, mm -hmm. kind questions of that part of myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 not seek to get rid of it yeah that it's a very important part of me mm. um that that needs attention mm. the problem is it's not been attended to enough yeah in the right way yeah. so when you talk about you know can i can, I, can we talk about that mm as a as a way of helping someone as a as a form of therapy <clears throat> i really resonate with that because that's what i found it, it's the antidote to judgment yeah isn't it? if you're just yeah. curious you know and it really helps i think me be congruent it helps me be empathetic it helps me you know the core conditions for rogers is it, i think you can almost sum it up in a curiosity you know about what's happening and yeah you know, especially in the here and now what's happening in the session and now but, uh, but but as well, it, it's one of the greatest tools I've had for my own my own self relationship, my own trying to integrate those parts of myself. Is trying, and I had an experience. This is a number of years ago. It's a silly little thing, but it, it had a huge kind of impact. I won't go into the ins and outs of it, but mm. I was offered a piece of work. And, and it, it, basically it just wasn't right for me. Right. Yeah. But there was a part of me said, oh, no, it'll be a good skills piece. You'll learn, you know, you'll do it. So I talked to my supervisor and he said, I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole. <laughs> I talked to Rach, my wife, and she's gone. I don't think this is good for you. And I talked to one of my closest friends, Paul, you know, Paul Spain. I know Paul, yeah. Paul. Um, and he was saying, no, this, this, this isn't right, Ray. So there was three people who I categorically know have my back, mm. right? Mm. But yes, yeah, still part of me is going, no, no, I, you know, it'll be good. It'll be good. <laughs> so every time I was trying to design this, it was a workshop that would have been over three days. Every time I was trying to design it, it just kept falling apart. I couldn't, I couldn't put a structure on it. And it was getting closer and closer to the date. So my anxiety was getting more rampant and rampant and rampant so uh, how do i explain this because it might sound strange but yeah. i sat in meditation w one morning it was about three weeks to go and i sat and i really felt it because it was really intense right so i was really scared right right, right. okay so i just sat breathing and i felt in so no head just felt into the physical experience of the of the of the, the fear and out of that popped my son he was a, an image of my son right huh? he was about nine at the time right and he was screaming crying and pointing right and that that was it that was the image okay mm. so in in my meditate i don't follow that so i just take note of it and yeah. just go back to trying to be present and then process. So later on, I was process going, God, yeah, Sam came up. What was that? So I just started to do some active imagination, started to play with it. So I'm going, okay, so 
it, it, I knew I had connected with the, the anxiety I was feeling, right? And it was, it was around the same age, nine, ten. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I was going, okay. So if Sam was doing that, ah, the most obvious question to ask is, what's wrong? Mm. Right. Okay. So I played it out, and he went, oh, there's a man under my bed. And I went, okay, right, okay. Well, we have a look. So I played it out. Yeah, we, we, ha we had a look. No man under your bed. No man under there. Okay, so that's one scenario. The other scenario is, ah, there's a man under my bed. You start, come on, we have a look. <gasps> You're right. There is a man under your bed. <laughs> come on, let's get out of here. Do you know, because, you know, because I need to verify there may be a man under his bed, do you yeah. know? Right? So that, as I played, so then I went, I felt again into this anxiety and I went, what's wrong? And then from a felt sense, mm -hmm. not a head sense, uh -huh. I knew I can't do this piece of work. And it was everything that my supervisor, that my wife, but I felt it not from a head place. I went, all right. And then I went, well, what about if I said, no, I can't do this piece of work. I, it was amazing. It just, it just subsided. Wow. And I went, oh my God. So another piece of the process then I went, why have I, why have I not listened to that? What yeah. was it? And what I realized, and it's a little bit embarrassing. But what I realized was the woman who who offered me the piece of work is a really strong matriarchal figure. And when I realized that, I didn't want to let mommy down. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> and yeah, it was fine. I picked her up and said, look, you know, told her the reason she's gone. Ah, look, you're grand. No worries. Thanks anyway. You know, it was fine. It was no issue whatsoever, but I had, to, but it was a really important process for me. And now it's a little silly example, but it was no, a really not. important. There's nothing, there's nothing silly about that example. Mm. I don't think, because I think it, it, it exemplifies the inner and the outer world and how yeah. they interact with each other. She wasn't your mum. Yeah. Yeah. But somehow she'd taken on a force Yeah. in that felt world. Yeah inside of us that 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 she'd taken on an almost archetypal mm -hmm. power yeah that was exerting a force she was under the bed <laughs> yeah exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and she was scary yeah um but and 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 was exerting a controlling force mm. just like you were saying earlier about the voice that was really hard on mm. That was abusive. Mm. We, we have all these these people inside of us mm. um, that that exert all these forces, and and the unlocking factor is curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, which is goes against my natural instinct mm. is to think I don't want to think about that at all. Mm. Um, mm. I just want rid of it. Mm. Uh, and to and to be curious about it instead, yeah, is a whole different ball game. Yeah, you 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 said earlier before we started this that you've got a John O'Donoghue poem. Yeah, yeah. So it, it actually kind of speaks into what we've just been talking about. Well, I was that was what I was hoping. <laughs> yeah. 
so this is from his book uh, Benedictus I love that book and the poem is called for courage excellent when the light around you lessens and your thoughts darken until your body feels fear turn cold as a stone inside when you find yourself bereft of any belief in yourself and all you unwinningly learned has fallen when one voice commands your whole heart and it is a raven's dark steady yourself and see that it is your own thinking that darkens your world search and you will find a diamond thought of light know that you are not alone and this darkness has purpose gradually it will school your eyes to find the one gift your life requires hidden within this nice corner invoke the learning of every suffering you have suffered close your eyes gather all the kindling about your heart to create one spark that is all you need to nourish the flame that will cleanse the dark of its waste and festered fear a new confidence will come alive to urge you towards higher grounds where your imagination will learn to engage difficulty as it almost rewarding threshold. Wow. Good grief. <laughs> so it's that kind of holding, you know, going into it. And um, I know my supervisor, like he, he's been really instrumental in, 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 in helping me use the body. And I did some training with him as well and use the body and feel into it. And, you know, sometimes a discharge is, is net, like sometimes I will physically allow my body to tremble and shake just so I'm not flooded by it. It, it, it helps me just center and ground. It's like, you know, it's like when we've had a good cry or, you know, it doesn't change the situation, but it just releases as I come back. I had that. I, one of the things I recognized early on was that I thought my body was my enemy mm. because my feelings of anxiety were so physical, you know, breathlessness. I had all this tingling in the back of my spine and down my neck. Um, I felt sick, all of these things. And, and I was absolutely terrified that I was about to die on a regular basis. And, and, and at first I thought my body was letting me down. I was really angry with it. And then, I gradually began to realize, no, your body, there's this, this, this book, The Body Never Lies, mm -hmm. uh, it, that my body was telling me the truth, yeah. that I had split off from my anxiety at some point in my life mm -hmm. quite profoundly. Mm -hmm. And people would say to me, you know, when we did the Rites of Passage, mm -hmm. numerous people said to me, God, you're unflappable, you're always calm. You know, they experienced me as someone that was on top of everything. Um, 
and and that is a part of me but then there's this whole other part of me that's going i don't know what i'm doing mm. oh my god you know and mm. and i would just refuse to listen to that part and shove it away yeah. and and almost you know physic and my body was going hey like you were saying earlier hello mm. i'm still here and i've carried all this for years no more you're mm. going to face this mm. um and I, I I started doing Tai Chi and I started going for, I found this woman who worked, uh, who, who I met in a local cafe and she did healing massage, does healing massage, Joe. And she would do a full body massage and she would intuitively notice things. And I remember going once and, and I was laying on my back and she started massaging my head and she got down to kind of my shoulders and I started to feel full blown panic attack. Mm. Just absolute, you know, Oh my God, I'm going to pass out. Oh shit. That I know. And I was, and my whole body tensed up and she was like, Whoa, what's happening here? Mm. What What's going on? And I was like, I just feel really, really unsafe. And, and she was like, Oh, okay, that's fine. And she just kept massaging and she kept, just concentrating on it mm. and I started to shake and I couldn't stop and she was like this is great this is <laughs> you know and it, she went completely counter to what I was feeling I thought and she's like let it, let yourself shake just this is fine mm. I don't know where this has come from but I've touched something that's that's raised this for you so just let's go with it yeah. And for the next like 50 minutes, I was shaking. And, yeah. and by the end of it, I kind of really calmed down. And, and, and she, she wanted me to uh, talk to her about something else. So we went for lunch after. And she was just like, that was profound for you. That's what your body does. And it needed to do the shaking bit. It needed to really experience that anxiety you don't let it happen and, and for, even now if I go for a massage I'm always worried it's going to happen again but I also am aware that something was profoundly affected by that moment um, that my body was being really truthful yeah um, and that I didn't die you know I was yeah. fine I was absolutely safe and held and 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 all everything was okay yeah yeah um that that really speaks into that you know you know whatever that the, the, the body's always remembers you know that if you if you if you take your head off if you want to <laughs> want of a better term and just I mean, fritz pearls get out of your head and into your senses mm. you know get into your body and if you feel emotional energy, you'll do one of four things. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll shout or get angry when I hit something, or you'll shake. There's, there's, there's not a fifth movement. You'll only do one or a combination of the four. Yeah. So that, that, when I learned that, uh, God, that's really, that's from a bioenergetical point of view. I was going, right. that's really helpful. Say those four again. Laughing. Right. Crying. Right. Or sobbing shouting ah or, you know yeah yeah, yeah. or shaking interesting 
right? Now, there's, there's tons of nuances in, yeah. in all of them, but if you feel any emotion to its intensity, you'll do one or a combination of those four things. And what the first lockdown, I, I really thought about this, is this is not psychotherapy. This is not, this is nature. Then, like, cavemen have been laughing, crying, shouting, and shaking. This is just the nature of our bodies. So, and, but the, the difficulty is, now it's important sometimes to have context into what's going on, but sometimes there's no narrative necessary. Like, um, it was last year as well, I, was, I had to do group therapy, and I had to do it as a part of a college, and it was, um, it was online, mm. and I, uh, it was the first time I'd ever done that. So I was very anxious, but it was, it was improportionate to actually what was going on. So I lay on the floor here in my office. I put a load of cushions, and I'll talk to you about this in a minute if you want, if you want to know, um, and just, again, felt into the physical. So my body shaped, my body just... So there was no narrative, there was no... Oh, Ray, you're a forty-eight-year-old man lying on the ground shaking. What are you like? You know, there was not. It was Ray. You're a forty-eight yeah. man lying on the ground. What's the problem? There's no yeah. problem here. Just absolutely shake. So you know, it didn't take the anxiety away, but it de-intensified it hugely enough for me to be present to it. You know, and yeah, and that's what I discovered. I suppose I discovered that for myself now. I don't know if this is useful for you, but what when I would feel into this and, you know, I'd say the child even or feel into this, mm. what I wanted to do was go into fetal position, you know, that, you know, that really protective place of feel safe, feel comfort, you know, you know, do you know that space, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. for, for me, it never um it was nice, but it, it never did anything. So uh, again, one day it's going, well, what's the opposite to that? Mm. So the opposite to that was to completely open up my chest, put my hands up above my head, arch my 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 back. Now that hurts, that's why I put cushions now. So I, I lie on the floor so my back is up, my solar yeah, yeah. is completely stretched. Yeah. And just, if, I, if I'm anxious and I do that and I breathe into my belly, I will just, Shake. naturally start to shake and um, so i thought oh that's interesting for me for years i've been trying to contract this and hold this yeah actually doing the opposite opening up was something that i found extremely helpful i'm, I'm really keen on this i, I i'm going to read a poem in a bit called don't recover too soon mm. um i went to a, a jungian lecture by this guy called andreas feitzer and it was all about Egyptology and Jung and archetypes and the darkness, especially about the sun god's journey through the 12 watches of the night. And I had a chat with him afterwards and I said, you know, I've just had a pretty bad breakdown. And he just looked me straight in the face and he said, Adrian, the, the, the thing I want to say to you is don't recover too soon. Mm. Don't recover too quickly because this is a powerful experience for you. Yeah. And you're learning from it. And I remember I think it really took me by surprise because he hardly knew me. Mm. But um, but he was very earnest in the way he said it, and I really listened to it. Yeah. Um but it it it, it that that whole thing of 
you're not going to be cured because no. there's nothing wrong with the things you're feeling. They are natural. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is it is natural to feel frightened by a lot of the things that happen in and around you. Mm-hmm. You know, death is a frightening thing. Mm-hmm. The death of loved ones is frightening. Um, the world we live in is is a frightening place. You know, we, we're experiencing a pandemic. That's frightening. Going shopping at the moment is a frightening experience, you know. Yeah. I wrote a poem about Sheffield in lockdown and that was, you know, in my week, the most dangerous thing I could do was go and shop mm-hmm. um, during lockdown. So it is natural to feel frightened mm-hmm. and it's important. It's, it's how we encounter that, how we're curious about that and how we hold it in our bodies. Absolutely. So I, I've, I've developed this language of curatives not cures, but things mm. that are curative, mm. that, that curate a good life. Mm. Um, and, and so what you've just described, that kind of going against the fetal closed-in position and opening your body out, that's very curative to me. Yeah. Um, and it's, I it's repeatable. Also, yeah. And just, you know, it's, it's important, you know, to be at a stage like so, you know, for anybody listening in, I might do that, I might shake, you know, and that, 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 because I, I remember going to a holotropic. Oh, yeah. Ten years ago. Um, but I remember, you know, stuff coming up and I was shaking and crying, but it, it also, it nearly almost re-traumatized me because I had no idea what was going on. Exactly. Right, yeah. so that that's an important. So you know, if you are shaking, I would say it's it's okay. It's only energy being expelled. But yeah, you know, sometimes you need a bit of work or be able to put a bit of context on this. And having someone tell you it's okay. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. I started shaking with Joe, she was totally unfazed, and she kept saying, "You're safe here. This is really safe. You know, yeah. and and you're cared for. I'm caring for you. You know, the room is warm." I've, 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 and she, she does all these kind of rituals to before and after you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first I thought this woman's slightly crazy, but the, the more I trusted her, the less crazy I actually thought she was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think these, these curative processes, like walking for me is curative. Mm-hmm especially walking i've just come back from the lake district especially walking in beautiful green spaces mm. there's something about the lake district that for me and i don't i know for other people it's the sea um that that has just this incredible immediate effect on me i look at coniston water in front of me and i feel calmed yeah, yeah. i feel better um and walking through it, hearing and feeling things. Um, and and poetry is curative for me. So I, I just, go going back to that, that what you read, mm-hmm. which lines in that really struck you? The one that jumps out straight away, there's other ones though, invoke the learning of every suffering. Yeah, that's jumped at me too. Invoke the learning of every suffering. Yeah. I mean, I, John O'Donoghue comes from your your world. He's he's he is 
right out of your um, life experience and and cultural experience. I think that's why he's so powerful to us over the water. Yeah. Because when I've been to Ireland, Ireland carries something. Um, it, it carries an energy. I went with David White to County Clare, where John O'Donoghue came yeah, from. Yeah, he lives in a burren, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we went and walked over the burren. It's the most scary place to walk on I've ever been. Because <laughs> it, it's all this limestone, and it looks completely <laughs> kind of... Um, solid until you start walking <laughs> and and these great plates of limestone you step on them and they move so i've never walked so intensely looking down before <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it has an incredible energy that that you get in his yeah. writing yeah so what was that line again so the line is invoke the learning of every suffering I mean that that's out of the Irish psyche. Yeah. Invoke the learning of every suffering. It's it's very powerful. There's yeah, you know that you are not alone and that this darkness has purpose. Yeah. It's that is that kind of don't give up. Oh, what's what's there's a, there's a line. I think I think it may be Richard Rohr, but it's um, don't let go of your pain until it has taught you what it needs to teach you. It's something along those lines. Yeah, do you know it's that. That's that's this idea of not recovering too soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think it's tragic that John died so young. Yeah, but what he left. I mean that book. Is is one of the most powerful books of poetry I've ever read. Um, he seems to just intuitively be able to say, in 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 that very Celtic mm. Irish way of saying, blessing things. Yeah, yeah. Of, of of looking at the ordinary stuff of life, of eating and drinking and friendship and solitude, and invoking a blessing over it. Mm. A, a, a way of holding it mm. delicately and and firmly and courageously. Mm. Um, it's full of courage that poem to me. Um, yeah, he's uh, and even if you've if you've seen him being interviewed, he he speaks like that. He speaks exactly. in metaphor. He speaks mm -hmm. in symbols. He he's just mm. he, he lilts almost. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's just it's musical and, and yeah. Uh, lyrical. Yeah. So I, I'm going to read this. We're coming towards the end. Um, I wrote this when I was beginning to recover. And I in we've got quite a big garden. You've seen it. And mm. halfway up it, there's a chicken, a uh, big chicken run. Okay. And um, I was walk. I go up there every day to let them out in the morning and then to put them to bed at night. And um, so it's like a very regular thing that I do. And it, I was one day I was walking up there and I suddenly thought the things that hold all these parts of me together, it's, I could feel how easy it is for them to split apart because mm. I was so recently experiencing that fracture. That, that that happens to us especially in i think in men 
between the ages of about 40 and 60, a lot happens to men. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain a lot happens to women as well, but you know, with our experience of working with men, so much of the glue that holds us together starts to weaken. Yeah. And I think that's an important process. Yeah. I think it's important for everyone. And I think rites of passage are those moments where you accept that the glue is weakened and you start to look at the disparate parts and what they're all saying to you and trust the dismemberment, if you like. Yeah. So it's called Don't Recover Too Soon. It was on my daily trudge up to the chicken coop that I realised the glue holding me together felt shockingly weak. I could easily come unstuck. By the time my fingers fiddled with the latch, I was in the thick of the attack. One part of me had sheared off in self-protection, taking a step away. I became a diagnostician, listing symptoms. Chest pain equals heart attack. Headache equals stroke or tumour. Numbness in my fingers equals multiple cirrhosis. Panic equals psychosis. Murderous thoughts equals psychopathy. I lost God because God loves only the good until I met Carly standing on the body of Shiva at the end of my garden, skulls on her girdle. I was shifting the wood that had been deposited tsunami-like around the trees. It needed piling, but every carry was an hour of lumbering anxiety. St. Francis was statuesque and seemed to mock me, although he was a man of many crashes. And now I know that chaos and creation dogged his steps too. The me I knew best was beaten, and even my glasses bothered me making the world feel unreal, distant. But the wet winter trees said, don't recover too soon. I had to go with Carly to the hospital to see why the glands in my neck were leaching my calcium and cashing in on my long banked anxiousness. I lay like St. Francis under the surgeon's hot iron, radioactivity in my blood and an hour of fear with a scanner's plate next to my fretful face. They had to cut my throat to get at the source. I was very anxious after that, but that reaction has become a familiarity that I accommodate. The scar has faded and the cracks in myself have steadily drawn back towards each other, like an angry family slowly reconciling, though I can still see the fissures if I look hard enough. So part of my anxiety was brought on by this parathyroidism, mm -hmm. um, which are the glands around your thyroid that govern calcium production. And mine, two of mine had become tumorous and uh, they had to be removed. Right. Um, and that was right in the middle. Uh, part, part of the, the, the overproduction of calcium creates heightened anxiety. Um, it, uh, okay. They're attached to the neurons. So it was almost like it opened a door to the anxiety that was already there yeah. and I couldn't close it anymore. Okay. It, 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 it's kind of sparked this, this attack of anxiety that I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't ignore any longer. Um, so the poem is partly about that, but it's also about Carly at the, at the lecture by this Jungian therapist. He talked about, the idea that chaos and and um, dismemberment and and all of these kind of dark things 
are as much part of the psyche and part of the world that we live in as reconstruction or or harmony or beauty or all those things and that 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 carly really represents that force because she's standing on the body of shiva who willingly lets her do this and she's got skulls all around her girdle with the blood of all her victims i mean she is the most terrifying goddess um but she is the kind of mother of of recreation mm. um and i realized that that i had to face that yeah. i had to face that kind of darkness that john o'donoghue talks about and be willing to accept that that like saint francis i've got a statue of saint francis in the garden and um someone had brought a whole load of wood um to to use for the fires that we used for the men's circle that we had and he put it all around the trees at the top of the garden it looked like a tsunami had been through and i had to move it all he just deposited it one day piles and piles of it and i had to move it to the bottom of the garden and i was feeling wretched at the time and i just would go every day and move a bit more and and i felt like saint francis was kind of mocking me at this this kind of lumbering anxiety and then it, i worked out that you know he had terrible breakdowns yeah. Yeah. and that he became my companion i would talk to the statue um and and that bit the me i knew best was beaten and even my glasses bothered me making the world feel unreal distant uh but the wet winter tree is dead said don't recover too soon yeah. and there's the self-relationship and my glasses you know that's yeah. right because i had this the, when you have really bad anxiety you have this thing called derealization and it you feel like you're not quite there you look you feel like you know that experience people talk about seeing them looking down on themselves mm -hmm. it's a bit like that it's like you you're slightly separated from yourself mm. and, and my i kept thinking it at first i kept thinking i need to get new glasses I've, I've had this real feeling of being distanced and then i realized that's what it was it was just to do with anxiety um but but it was like the parts of me were 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 pushed apart in order to so I could see them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that that's this, isn't it? Once you see, okay, it's still there's still a long process, but it's really important to see first of all. Ah, oh, this mm. is what's happening. This is what I'm doing. Mm. But you can still be in the I don't know then and go, oh well now do I see what now? And that can be a <laughs> that can be a long process. I think there's always an I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's always a an uncertainty that's necessary. Yeah. I think I th I suppose one of the biggest lessons I've learned is it's okay not to know. Yeah. It's okay to feel anxious and uncertain um in fact that's an important part of me that 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 it's a, it's a diagnostic of the world that i'm living in yeah that 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 there are huge tracts of uncertainty uh and, and that they have to be listened to mm -hmm. so that we we learn to tread more carefully and that, that we enter the next part of whatever our life is 
with a kind of curiosity and an intensity that that is congruent. Mm. I, th- I think I spent a lot of my time when I was younger just barreling into the next thing. Oh, this must be what I should do. Yeah. You know, this is it. Right. I know that one, yeah. I know that one, yeah. Too much certainty. Um, and this this last bit of the piece, they had to cut my throat to get at the source. I was very anxious after that, which I was. But that reaction has become a familiarity that I accommodate. The scar has faded and the cracks in myself have steadily drawn towards each other, like an angry family slowly reconciling. Mm. I, I felt that, that there were, you know, you talked about that part of yourself that was abusive. Mm. There were angry parts of me. There mm. were really wounded parts of me. There were parts of me that had never been allowed to flourish mm. and that they were gradually they are gradually coming back together mm. but but it's it's a slow process yeah of reconciliation and, and that, that like there's two there's the bit about coming coming back you know and not knowing like the, the, there's a paradox in it you know going okay so there's a not knowing in the in in certain aspects and yet and also there's a freedom in not knowing like yeah the depths of you and and i i don't think we, we can get to, you know you no. know you from the analytic we're only what 10 percent conscious yeah. you know so the depths of the mystery of us is unknowable i think and mm. um, yeah and there's a bit there's a bit of relief in that yeah for me <laughs> i don't have to know and yeah, absolutely. So and and yeah, if I if I come out of my head and into my heart, I you know, and I don't do it enough. I think is to tap into. It's hard to put language on this. It, it kind of a an, an essence of me, you know, that I I I've labelled as Ray, you know, but. You know, and I don't, I don't know what that is, but it's a felt, and it's connected with. I know I'm open-hearted. I know I'm a loving human being. You know, I mess up. I hurt people. I'm not. I'm not. You know, but it's never out of intent. It's out of just unconsciousness or just something yeah. else going on. But when I peel back those behaviors, sometimes I can rest in it. I'm okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. I'm. I'm okay. And it's, yeah, I forget to do that. <laughs> just remembering to do it, do you know what I mean? But just and that. I think uh, we, come to, we better come to a close. But I think the work that we met doing, mm. which I'm always grateful for, mm, me too, for meeting, has always been about trying to help people, primarily help ourselves to get in touch with that. Yeah. I mean it's a physical ah, that, yeah, it is, yeah. There is an essence to me that is mysterious, yeah. somewhat unknowable, but is fundamentally okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and all the things that happen to me are all part of that that yeah. mysterious kind of journey. And the men's work and the therapy and the writing are all about exploring that mystery 
more deeply. Yeah. I think to finish, what I'd love you to do is read that poem again, the John O'Donoghue. When the light around you lessens and your thoughts darken until your body feels fear turn cold as a stone inside. When you find yourself bereft of any belief in yourself and all you unwilling or unknowingly learned on fall sorry and all you unknowingly learned on has fallen when one voice commands your whole heart and it is raven dark steady yourself and see that it is your own thinking that darkens your world search and you will find a diamond thought of light Know that you are not alone and that this darkness has purpose. Gradually, it will school your eyes to find one's gift your life requires, hidden within the night corner. Invoke the learning of every suffering you have suffered. Close your eyes. Gather all the kindling around your heart to create one spark. That is all you need to nourish the flame that will cleanse the dark of its waste and festered fear. A new confidence will come alive to urge you towards higher ground where your imagination will learn to engage difficulty as its most rewarding threshold learn to engage difficulty as its most rewarding threshold that's brilliant that yeah that's brilliant. the opportunity for growth isn't it brilliant choice of poem well thank you ray thank you adrian no, that was lovely lovely chat really yeah. enjoyed that really really, really learned loads as i always do from you well uh, vice versa <laughs> absolutely vice versa thank you Poetry, anxiety, and vulnerability. This is the Anxious Poets Podcast.